Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. Later on the show, we have we have award-winning human rights technologist Sabrina Hersey Issa, which I'm super excited about. But before that, I want to talk about your upcoming visit to LA. Kim, oh my God. I am coming to LA at the end of the month and I am so damn excited. I'm so excited to get on an airplane. I'm so excited to be somewhere different in the sun. I'm excited to see my friends. I'm super excited to see you. I can't believe we're going to see each other. I've been thinking about my outfit for like the last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh no shit. That's hilarious. <laughs> no, I'm super psyched. I mean, I, it, it just suddenly it was, I, you know, I, it, it, you know, going with a new boyfriend. Right. It's the first trip with the first trip with the new man. First trip with the new man. We went out to Long Island for a few days on a sort of practice run. And that went well. So yeah, we're, we're going to get on a plane and introduce each other to all of our Los Angeles friends and, you know, hang out and enjoy the sunshine. I'm super excited for it. So, okay. So you're taking your first trip with the man. How, like, okay. So how did, did you, do you know if you're travel compatible? You're going to be flying to like the whole thing. Like my husband will check a bag no matter what. And I hate this about him. I'm like, yeah, he, he's a bag checker. <laughs> you know what? I've been a bag checker, but I also traveled to Central and South America for two weeks with a carry-on. I am fully capable, especially if you're going to a warm place. You can really get away with a carry-on. But um, so I don't know. I feel like we, we have already agreed on carry-ons. I think that my last boyfriend was hell to travel with because we travel very differently. And the way he travels is completely, you know, acceptable, just not for me. It is like every day is mapped out, full of ruins and cathedrals and long, long walks. And, you know, lunch at this place and then dinner at that place. And I'm like a get to a city, walk around, pretend I live there for a while. Pick the cafe I want to go to every morning. Pick the place I want to have lunch. Like, I just want to kind of experience the place I'm visiting. And I, and, and I think he is on that same page. So that's good. I'm the exact same way about travel. I want to, I've always want to pretend that I live there. Like that's, that's the biggest thing. And yeah. just pretend the and discovery, like that's the best thing about travel is just like, when you have everything mapped out, I often feel like I'm missing out on things. Yeah. People who are the opposite who have to have like a spreadsheet. But if I, if I have, am I that, if I'm not planned, I'm often like, oh, I'm sad that we can't go over there because we have this, this plan. And now I've missed out on this thing that looks really interesting to me that I couldn't have known about until I arrived here. So 
No, I mean, I've stumbled upon amazing things when I've traveled, you know, and, and, and very few amazing things when they've been scheduled for me. Oh, God, it's so uptight. I mean, although I will say, like, I've been with people who, like, we went to Paris with friends one time, and we were, it was like a real foodie, and there were reservations booked months in the advance, which I would never have it together to do. <laughs> like, me neither. And we did me eat neither. at amazing restaurants. And so there was some, there was some value in the one like uptight over planner. So I was, I was grateful for that, but I can't do it too much. Yeah. It, it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And it's not, for me, it's not what's fun about travel. No, me neither. Me neither. But going, going on a forced march is never fun. Well, I don't have a preconceived idea. I don't necessarily have a preconceived idea about what I, I need to see like the whole thing is just going for me the adventure of yep. going so I totally agree I totally agree well I'm excited I don't know if by the time this comes out you'll already be here but I'm excited to see you <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited and um all right let's get into this episode yeah Sabrina was a fantastic guest and and really super inspiring to me me too really a lot of, of left me thinking about a lot of things about how I'm how I'm living this this life such as it is. She makes you ask the big questions. She really does. Our guest today is Sabrina Hersey Issa. Sabrina is an award-winning human rights technologist and angel investor committed to leveraging innovation as a tool to unlock opportunity and dignity for all. She's also a race and technology fellow at Stanford University, the CEO of Be Bold Media, a global strategy and innovation agency, and an opinion contributor to MSNBC and NBC News, where she speaks on technology, power, and human potential. In addition to all this, Sabrina is also the founder of the Survivor Fund, a political fund focused on championing the rights of survivors of sexual assault and building political power for survivors. She's a contributor to the anthology, Believe Me, How Trusting Women Can Change the World. Welcome, Sabrina. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a delight. Can you explain to us what a human rights technologist is? Yes, I can. Um, so I've come to describe my work as a human rights technologist um, as a way to apply a justice framework to how technology solutions get built. Um, but your question is excellent because I really use that, that phrasing as a way to get my mother to stop asking me about going to law school. <laughs> that was like the real intention behind describing my body of work as a human rights technologist. But in practice, this actually means I leverage tech and media to improve human dignity, human dignity. And how do you do that? So it's, I personally think I have the a dream job that I like created um, and that I w work with leaders to build systems and frameworks and solutions to tackle big complex problems. So um, if there's, if there is a group of people, like how do we approach building uh, attacking, you know, the fact that, you know, one of our initiatives is like survivor fund, like a complex issue, sexual violence in our culture. Um, there are lots of people working on it at different, uh, different arcs, different groups, different silos. And I approach it as, okay, how are we doing this in a way that inclusivity, how are we using technology to build, be, build, build, organize and build power. So it is just doing that, repeating it, repeating it again and again and again. Overall, the work as a, of a technologist is being able to do that at scale. So mm -hmm. how can we do that with frameworks? How can we do that with software? How can we do that in solutions that centers people's full humanity as we are trying to solve big complex problems in the world? So I really like it because what this means is you have to be deep. You have to do this with, from a place of like deep trust and respect and mutuality so I get in deep. I know teams deeply. I work over long arcs of time with people, um, teams and organizations and companies. And then also my, my agency, a lot of times we look at how solutions should exist. What, what solutions do we think could be created in the world? And we make it like I have a team of developers. I have a team of designers. And, and, and then we go back out into the world and we sell those solutions out into the world. So we do it in two ways. So one through just consulting services and then other just selling software as service, selling media as service, designing campaigns and working in deep partnership and collaboration with people who are trying to build a better world. Super fascinating. How were you drawn to this work? I started my career as a journalist. 
my family is from Somalia and I just grew up understanding the power behind storytelling. The media that I consumed that was telling the story of my family's home was not the was not the full story. And I knew that media could be an incredible tool to build bridges. And so I entered the working world being like, I'm going to be a journalist. And I was, I, 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 you know, we were starting, um, you know, I came up in public radio, but I started in television and then I transitioned to public media. And then I, but I also saw the limits and constraints when you're trying to create media that contains a full humanity in ecosystems and cultures that didn't respect and hold your full humanity. So it was hard to be mm -hmm. black immigrant Muslim woman in these very homogenous environments. And you hit up against the constraints of that. So I actually go back to like what motivated me to get into the work is what kind of what motive um, into tech was what motivated me is part of who I am. I want to, I want to be a full whole human being. I want other people to have that experience of being full whole human beings. So what can I do to help create that? When I transitioned out, I, I would never say I would transition out of journalism. I kind of always have always had my foot in both worlds. But when I, I guess, expanded my aperture to include humanitarian work in tech was because um, when I was coming up in my career, the war in Afghanistan was happening. And I saw as just as a foreign policy analyst, so many parallels between what was happening in Afghanistan and what was happening in Somalia. And I thought to myself, just from a pattern recognition place that, oh, Somalia is Afghanistan 10 years from now. And if I want experience working in a context of um, this very similar to one of my own that I can't go back home yet, then I want experience working in the Afghan context. So I started working for an Afghan NGO. And that is actually the backwards way of how I got into tech how I started approaching my my work in this in this sense. And that is um, I initially had a job because I was uh, leaving public media and I, I am great at I understand foreign I pick up foreign languages rather easily. And I initially had a job working for I had an offer working for an NGO that doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> it was um, and they had um, five women led uh, radio stations across five provinces. And I had this offer and I was super excited and it was great because my contract was winding down. And um, and then two months before I was supposed to leave, like it filed for bankruptcy. And at the time I was so early career, I didn't know charities could even have bankruptcy. I was like, I thought hmm. charities just kind of existed. But by then I kind of like intellectually married this idea of doing this specific type of work in this context. So I went back to my research and I was like, okay, well, this is my skill set. And this is the field I want to work in. Who is getting independent, uh, who's getting funding to do, to promote independent media in this context that, that I could like, you know, basically I blind pitched myself to other organizations. One of the orgs that I uh, applied to uh, wrote me back right away in 20 minutes and was like, Hey, you sound fascinating. When will you be in Washington again? I was like, I'll be there tomorrow. And I had no plans to be there. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll be, I'll be there the, like the next weekend. And I was like, I like bought like a cheap ticket and flew home <laughs> the next weekend. And, you know, you're doing like the hustle. And um, and that organization actually ended up being run by the pre president of Afghanistan's family. And um, and they had a television station and a radio station. So that was like my uh, my entry into humanitarian, like into that humanitarian ecosystem. However, how, again, the answer in question, how did I get into tech? It was because of my second day of work, because I ended up getting the job because you hire the person who jumps on a plane. I've heard you say technology and media can play a role in solving some of the most pressing social justice issues of our time. How have you seen this in action? Oh, wow. I, how I've seen it in action is that technology has been an incredible accelerant and elevator to telling important truths that we're not ready to hear yet and elevating necessary voices who need to be delivering those truths. And I've seen that across the board. I mean, the most pressing and, and proud examples I've been, I, I, examples that I've been proud to witness has been the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter. You don't need any more pressing um, examples than those two. So technology has been an incredible accelerant and then an elevator to things that we just need to face even if we're not, if we don't think we're ready to face them yet. I actually think we're a lot more prepared and equipped to face more than we give ourselves credit to. Yeah, totally. And, you know, you're doing so much good work with, um, with Be Bold Media. And 
particularly, I want listeners to know about the annual Bold Prize. I think it's annual and you started it, what, last year? Started in 2019. And yeah, Bold Prize is a crowdfunded leadership prize to celebrate courage, integrity of Black women leaders. I specifically was noticing in the technology sector who were speaking truth to power and doing incredibly important, meaningful work, keeping our communities safe, but we're all, which involved calling out people, calling out powerful actors. And we're being very, we're, I did not see them getting support or getting, or, or for their work being seen as what it was, which I saw as a form of incredibly courageous leadership. So we started it in 2019. Initially, because I knew that like this is something that this, the eco the technology ecosystem needed, but we didn't have like the person <laughs> yet. Um, right. we, we knew that was, this is a space that needs to be that needs to exist because so often it's usually black women who are calling things out and holding people accountable and doing incredible rigorous work. Um, and that's not seen as leadership. And it was really important for me for when we think about innovation, it's not a white guy in a hoodie anymore. It can't be, and it never really was. Mm -hmm. um, and to center the people who actually are doing incredibly important work, innovating our cultures and innovating our systems so that it's safer and better for all of us. So the first prize winner that we we, um, we found, and, and, and this is an incredible young woman named Ottawa Michelle Moboya. She was a grad stu graduate student at the MIT Media Lab who did an incredibly brave thing by calling the for the res resignation of the then Media Lab director for covering for Jeffrey Epstein. And when that happened, mm -hmm. I saw I saw so many people instead of looking at her work, what she did as brave and courageous, um, demonizing her. And, and then I saw a lot of women in my field in techno, I'm, I'm going to be very candid. Just, I saw a lot of white women in tech yeah. posturing as if they were helpless. Like they saw what she was doing and they were inspired by it, but then they kind of shrugged their shoulders and continued on and was business as usual. And i and I remember in one community, someone was like, you know, if this is happening at MIT, like it's, you know, it's hopeless everywhere. And I was like, it's never hopeless because of people like, like her. And, mm -hmm. um, and then she, someone else on another community I'm a part of who I know to be extraordinarily powerful person said that she felt helpless, hopeless and helpless. And I'm like, no, you're never hopeless and you're never helpless. There's always something you can do. So I, I reached out to her and I said, hey, I created this prize. And I would like, I, I would, I, I think this, I think your, your actions actually fit exactly into what we were looking for. Would you, and I had to, I, it was important for me to get consent, but I was like, is it okay if I crowdfund a leadership prize in your honor? And she said, oh, wow, thank you so much. Serena, you know, responded, a, you know, a minute later. And so I turned on the, I turned it live and I invited the community to celebrate her. Um, and it was, it was, um, it wasn't just about money. It was about framing what she was doing as leadership. And so Ottawa was our inaugural winner. And then this year we, there are three black women who are our winners. Timnit Gabru, who led the ethical research at Google in artificial intelligence. Uh, Ifyoma Ozomo, oh, Ifyoma um, and Erica Zumu-Banks, who are two black women from Pinterest, who again, led incredible work there, who also held leadership there to account. So those three black women are just incredible trailblazers in their own right. And so it was important to use Bold Prize as a way to frame their the space that they take in 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 the space in the ecosystem and the and the gifts that they bring to our field as leadership and as innovation. And so we have a, a package for them as well, where they're they're all they're going to get a cat. Like and, and it's and it's also important for me to point out that this is a crowdfunded leadership prize because I believe in the power of invitation. And that it's not just me who sees these people, these women as extraordinary leaders and innovators, but like their peers do too. And that was right. actually probably means more. Like when, when we first gave Ottawa her award, we held an event for her in New York. It was right before everything shut down before the pandemic. And one of the things that she, as she I noted in one of the interviews she gave after the prize was given was she said that she wasn't looking at the GoFundMe. 
And so I said, oh, if you're not looking at the GoFundMe, you're not seeing all of the messages people are leaving for you. People were leaving her incredibly just beautiful, kind notes. And I was like, you're not seeing that. So we put together a, a, a Google slide thing and projected it onto the wall at the venue so that when Aww. she walked in, she all she saw was like scrolling messages of like love and care and support because it this it's not it's not easy to speak out. And no one wants to be the person holding powerful actors to account. And they take on extraordinary risks when they do that and, and economic violence when they lose their jobs for it. So it was important for me to use this as not just framing it as leadership, but also as like a net and a hammock to say like, we, we, when you need to rest, we have a web of support for you. All right, no whistleblower is a lonely position, right? It's interesting because yes, it, it's lonely. And, but I also know that like, I caution against calling it whistleblowing because the thing and calling it courage, because um, the thing about whistling is like, you can't keep doing it again and again and again. And when you are trying to change, do social change work, there is a need to kind of keep having to call on courage, you know? Right. And, and, but, but I will say one of the outcomes of their leadership is Erica and Ifoma have both worked on a California legislation on to protect whistleblowers. Um, that just passed um, one, I don't know, California legislative politics, state politics, but they just passed the first um, level and now it's going on to assembly. Um, literally today that happened. And so, and, and, and then the fact that the, all of these women are relatively young in their careers too, um, is another reason why I'm hesitant to call it whistleblowing. Cause I'm like, you have a long journey ahead of you, head for you. And I know that this isn't going to be the last thing, last remarkable, you know, act of bravery you do or inspire. And so if we can catalyze community to support courage and maybe inspire other people to be courageous, then I think that's really important. And now a word from our sponsors. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once-daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry leading sustainability standards. You know, I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Uh, okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25 
5% off. And we're back. Do you find, like, I always find with courage, like when people are the most courageous, it's when they feel like they have no option but to do exactly what they're about to do. Do you think that's true? I can speak to my experience and I can share that there's options. It's like, what option do you want to take that will help that you, where you can sleep at night? And people have different continuums on what their ability to make choices that will allow them to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking about, I read a book about, um, not to take it too far off, but about um, non-Jews who rescued Jews during the Holocaust. And almost to a person, they just said, well, of course I was gonna do that. It, they just, they, 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 they like downplayed the whole thing. Like, why wouldn't I do that? I don't think that's downplaying. I think that's acting out of um, moral integrity. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do things that I think are like, you know, putting on a pair of socks, but to someone else, they're like, that's extraordinary. I'm like, well, no, that's, that's me operating out of my opera. These are me operating out of my value system, but mine is different than someone else's. That's kind of why I'm like, um, and also it came to your note about like, whether or not there are any other choices. I think we all are looking at different menus. So I'm like, my menu of choices are totally different from your menu of choices. <laughs> right, of course. This brings me to something about values because I've, I've heard you talk about, well, one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show is because even though you're a person who leads this, like, leads this big, ambitious professional life, you equally seem like a person who prioritizes nourishing and taking care of yourself in a really inspiring way. And I was thinking specifically about with the values, you've talked about a practice that you call coming home to yourself. I don't think that's a, I think that's a kind of like, um, I don't consider it a pra it's kind of um, like a North star. I'm really grateful and like thankful that you said those kind of things about me because <laughs> I, I, um, I don't think I was always like this and I had to build it and learn and practice it because I, you know, raised in a culture that tended to value and valorize external ach achievement rather than, you know, personal fulfillment and growth. And, and um, to center myself in my own life, I guess, is a version of coming home to myself. But the practices I do that, I do that is because uh, it's, it's hard doing it's hard and lonely doing this work in the world if you also don't know who you are. Right. Of course. Have you, have either of you kind of like lost yourself in a job before where you're like, whoa, 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 where did I go? Yeah. <laughs> we talk about this all the time because we're both like, we're both like getting fired from big jobs club. Like best decision that was ever made for me was getting off the treadmill. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be writing a whole book about this, about ambition and, and how toxic it was for me. And it was that thing of the external, the external. I felt like the external could fix the internal or at least mask it. Yeah. You have that happen once, maybe twice. And you're kind of like, I'm never going to feel like this again. And I guess uh, me building these practices have been my compass back to me when I'm out and about in the world doing my thing, because I don't want to not be doing the work that I'm doing, but I'm not going to do it at the cost of myself. You know, the first time, the first time I heard of you and your work was in 2018, and we were both on an episode of Call Your Girlfriend. Um, and it was one of those like new year, new you episodes. And you were talking about something, because this is aligned to what we're talking about, which is called personal maintenance days. Do you still do that? Yeah. So there was a couple things about that. One, it's personal inventory days, which is super nerdy. Oh my God. <laughs> I totally made that up. I totally made up a name for it. I'm sorry. But too, I remember that because Jen, Jen um, I, after I read your book and I liked your book and I remember writing you afterwards being like, yo, I liked your book and I specifically liked it because I hadn't read many career books by white women that talked about race explicitly talked about race and I wasn't gonna like I'm not trying to give you cookies or anything but I was like do you know how helpful this is going to be for other people who anyway I, I yes I remember that um and that was fun and it, it's kind of interesting because um when I talk to 
Anne about that practice, which is, okay, so personal inventory days are practice that I created because, you know, I had a, I, I had a couple of years where like birthdays were coming up and um, I always have like just like grief hangovers around my birthday, lots of anxiety around it and goals that you want to achieve for yourself that I just, you know, would try to like cram in like, like a couple of weeks before a big birthday. Right. <laughs> and, um, and then you get frustrated because you don't get to do, you do, you never do all the things in a couple, you know, it's, it's, it's like the magazine headline, like you don't, you don't live, that's not a life, you know? And I realized that like this happening, this happening again and again actually meant that I wasn't prioritizing myself in a way that was like very significant. And I and it, it got tired of feeling bad for myself. <laughs> so I wanted to create a system, and this gets into why I love technology, because technologists think in systems. Um, I want to create a system to support my, my dreams in the world. And so I was like, okay, uh, my birthday is April 16th. So on the 16th of every month, I have this thing called a personal inventory day where I look at my goals. I ask myself, you know, what did I learn this month? What surprised me? What fails did I have? Who, what, what am I grateful for? Who am I grateful for? And then I actually do things like I like to the list of things of people who I'm grateful for. I actually sit, use that time each month to write gratitude notes to them to say, mm -hmm. I am grateful for you. Thank you for teaching me this. You know, if I need to make doctor's appointments, I make my doctor's appointments. I check my credit score. I do things to incrementally move me towards the life that I want, the things, the dreams that I have and who I want to be in the world. And then I, I, I really believe that like accountability, personal accountability is a form of self-care. Accountability is care period, but practicing, building practices of account accountability. It's really important for me to have that in my life and to, and to have and to show up for it again and again and again. And then those big things that I wanted to do every year that I try to cram in, they just became what I do all the time. And I guess, Jen, that goes back to this thing about coming home to yourself. I'm like, I'm never that far from me now. Right. The pandemic was not pers like it was wild. It's been wild, but it was not personally disruptive. Because I was gonna, I was, I'm sorry, I was about to ask about that because you seem like you're a person who's in constant motion. And I read that you travel constantly. So, so how did that work? How did that slowing down change? You? So it was very weird in the week where like my entire travel calendar like wiped clean. Like that was disorienting. I'm not gonna front <laughs> because I spend <laughs> like 80, 70 to 80% of my time bouncing around the world, you know? But in terms of like, connection and community and people and social isolation that was that was a non-problem for me because i deliberately had these practices of of community and connection and i had to do that because i traveled around all the time and i wanted to intentionally have a life where i was still connected with myself and part of being connected to myself was having practices where I still connected to people who are meaningful to me. So my people know that they're my people. I literally have a spreadsheet called my people. Uh, when <laughs> social distancing was happening, we were all, you know, you know, stay at home orders were in effect. I started this practice called um, social solidarity wellness hours, uh, where I got on um, Zooms with friends because I don't, I don't, I don't drink. I'm just like, alcohol has never been a part of my like life like that. I don't enjoy it. And I always feel bad, but I really enjoy working out and I enjoy talking to my people. So I would, I invited folks to jump on and zoom. We would catch up and then I invited a personal trainer to come and do a private personal training thing for my people. And then someone else would come and do a meditation and then we would dip out. And that was kind of like me translating this like practice into virtual format over the pandemic but uh it hasn't been personally disruptive because i know who i am and i practice that fairly regularly and and part of that is doing these personal inventory days i i i ask my this to my friends a lot just as a way to check them is i ask them where are you in your life like you can tell me your LinkedIn and I think that's great if you think it's great, but like, where are you in your life? Like, where are yeah. your dreams? Where are your hopes? Where do they live? How are you tending to them? How are you caring for your heart? And we're not 
usually given space to explicitly interrogate that for ourselves. So I've had to, and myself included, so I've had to work really hard to, to do that. And so I'm, that's why I'm like, thanks Jen for even reflecting that back to me because I didn't think it was remarkable when I shared that on call your girlfriend, but the feedback that I got from it, apparently, um, I am wrong. (laughs) No, it was really meaningful. And I'll I'll say this, you know, as I get older, the thing that becomes more and more important is having a fully integrated self. I think when I was younger, I was so compartmentalized and so segmented. And I mean, part of this is getting to know yourself better, but like, you know, I'd be one person at work and I was, you know, I was one person with my family because I grew up in a working class, you know, my parents didn't finish high school and I was one person with men. And as I get older, And part of this is like coming home to yourself. As I get older, myself, I'm, I'm more the same across everything. And I'm bringing more of that authenticity to, to everything I do. And I'm reaping the rewards for that. And it's not because, but it's not about financial or success. I'm reaping the rewards and the reward is peace and the reward is contentment. And like, I think that's what we're talking about to some degree. I agree. And I, and I share that. And I also like, I don't know about you. Do you have like compassion for younger you who did the compartmentalizing like a boss? I'm working on it so hard. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm really working on it. I'm working on having that compassion because I, you know, I understand that it was all part of the process. Not just part of a process, but also like what an amazing survival skill because there was something in there that was like trying to keep you safe and well, you know, yes. and like you were doing the best you can with what you had and like the, the, the tool set at the time, because as, especially as someone who similarly, like, you know, I, not, not super compartmentalized, it's very hard for me to hide, but I definitely share a lot of, a lot of what you reflected is, um, Hey, this is what I, this is what I knew at the time. And now that I know better, I can do better. I have so much more compassion for younger me than I do for current me. Mm. I, you know, I can think of a million reasons why, you know, why I chose a bad husband, you know, bad marriage, why I, you know, acted out when my father was dying. I I, I understand all those things and care, care about the woman I was then. But now I just thrash myself. I've I've had to break that as well, like break those patterns as well, because I'm like almost in reverse. I'm like, past me should have known. If only I looked at this, da 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 da. Like I had, it took me a minute to have compassion for myself, but I realized I was like giving it on loan. So I'm like, why why are you loaning it out to pass you when you can reap the reap the equity that you have now, Kim? Yeah, it's true. I try, I try. It's hard. Um, but I want to ask about something else here. One of your recent newsletters was titled, Why Don't We All Quit, which I loved, where you talked about how much you love when people quit their jobs. You had this great line, it is difficult and understandable to experiencing quitting as a loss and not a harvest. I fantasized, when I had my big job, I fantasized about leaving, constantly, leaving while the magazine was on top, but I never did it. So I have great admiration for people who walk away. Can you talk about why you encourage quitting? I'm a child of political refugees who had to leave a home that they didn't want to leave in order to survive and create safety for their families. And, and which, which is me. Um, and I'm, I'm the beneficiary of brave people who leave things that don't serve them or don't, don't serve them or, and will not serve their children. So I've had, I've been blessed with really great models. That said, these models raised me in America (laughs) in a culture that has a very sick work culture that is tied closely to identity. So one of the things I really had to work on was decoupling my worth with my work and, Mm -hmm. and knowing that just because something wasn't right for me, didn't make me not right. Does that make sense? Yep. Totally. And so like the the, part of the work I I had to do was um, around understanding that like quitting um, is not just about um, uh, America also tends to be a very binary culture where there's like pass fail, success fail, you know, achievement, achievement. But we don't understand that everything is also an ecosystem and every ecosystem has I think of things like greenhouses greenhouses have plants that are different stages of life and death 
any healthy ecosystem or people leave things all the time. People quit things all the time. Things die. <laughs> and that, mm-hmm. ha- that, that is okay. And, and actually denying the right that it is okay actually keeps things sick. And so if I don't participate in, in quitting, in leaving, in, in, in sunsetting things that are necessary to be sunset, I don't, again, like part of like values and integrity system, I don't want to be a part of perpetuating sickness, not in a system and especially not to myself. A lot of times people tell me that they have to stay in jobs for their health insurance. And I'm like, you're right. You do need to make money to have health insurance, but you shouldn't stay in a job for the health insurance that when the job is something that is making you sick. Totally. And also, you know what, that is the thing that holds people back from leaving like jobs that just cause them so much agony. And the, well, Tiffany Dufu said this to me first. And once I really internalized, it was the best thing because she was like, you just need to get health insurance. You just need to make enough money to get health insurance. Like the health insurance doesn't have to be attached to a job. And it was such a revelation. It was like, oh yeah, that's right. Like I need to commit to making enough money and find ways to make enough money to get health insurance. And then I can be free. Isn't it weird how we've all latched onto health insurance? Like when I got fired from Condé Nast and I was sitting in the HR director's office hearing about my severance package, I was like, oh, fuck, I don't have health insurance anymore. But then it was like, oh, yeah, I just have to earn money so I can have health insurance. And I'm also going to offer that that you probably like I will never I will never tell anyone to go without health insurance. But I also say when you're not in a toxic environment like that, you're healthier. So you don't like need to go to the doctor as much. Oh my God, it's so true. It's so like, true. I had, a job where I, was, I had a job that gave me hives and I'm like, when I left it, I didn't have hives anymore. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. I, and then I will, I also want to offer in, in terms of the, the, uh, the, the quitting to, on the discourse about quitting things is that, um, is looking at it like a harvest. Like it, a lot of times we look at jobs like, a, like, oh, Hey, I, I left my job. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, dude that's awesome. <laughs> like that, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like I had a friend of mine and, and, and part of the way I, I like to help shift it is I, I talk about it openly and transparently. I especially talk about it with black women because we are socialized to, you know, take, you know, endure and, and weather things that are complete, that is completely not serving to us. But uh, one of the things I do in my in my friend community is we we talk about this a lot. And a few uh, the last time I quit something a, a, a few weeks prior, I was catching up with a friend and I asked her for an update about her work nonsense. And she said the most perfect phrase to me that applied to my situation. She goes, it's the same old stupid, but it came to pass and not to stay. And I used that opportunity as a harvest by like, you know, like just like Bold Prize, where I like created the invitation for people to show up and support. I did the same thing when I left my last position where I, I didn't feel good. It didn't feel good. Like, can we also be honest that quitting things doesn't feel good? <laughs> so That's scary. I reached out to my community and I was like, I need you to help support me in shifting this and helping me focus on thinking through things, places to invest my time places and people who I need to meet who make me better and so I was like tell me and then also I need a pep talk so can you just like give me a pep talk like you know just send me some love and like when you create an opportunity for people to show up for you like from you know the right ones do and they say the thing the exact thing you need to to hear and to see yourself, to have perspective on yourself that you may not have in that moment when you're, you know, when you're maybe reactive or triggered or scared or any of those things that stir us up and make us feel, you know, make us take us out of like our adult brain, right? And it's like sometimes you just need somebody else's perspective and somebody else be like, wait a second, you're not, you're not seeing, you're not seeing yourself the way I see you. And and that's so beautiful and, and necessary. When um, you when you mentioned coming home to yourself, there are s- personal systems and practices that I do to do that. But also the best thing that I, I know, especially in 2020, that helped um, me return home to myself, which was hilarious because we were all home all of 2020, having the people closest to me remind me of who I am. And when you leave, when you quit things, 
a lot of times you don't you're not connected to who you are in your own power and having people remind you of who you are is for me like was such a big like beautiful gift to coming home to myself because I'm like oh yeah for a minute I believed these losers <laughs> but 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 I that's a, that was a choice I unconsciously made now I, I choose to actually listen and hear you and look at the mirror that you're holding up for me um, because that that is that's the real me and that's who I really am um, and I just needed a little help to find that and and the, those breadcrumbs are so were so valuable now, most of your mental health and self-care practices seem to require at least a bit of organization, which is daunting to somebody like me who's very disorganized. Do you think we need to be more structured in our lives in order to thrive? Well, first, I think you need to define what is thriving to you, mm -hmm. you know, and, and then and then see, look at, close your eyes, imagine, the, imagine it, like what is thrive? How do I feel? When am I waking up? Who is around me? What are we listening? Like, what are we dancing to? It, is there dancing? I don't know. Maybe some people don't thrive that way. <laughs> when you have like that vision of like, this is, this is living and you can work backwards from that. I imagine you might need some organization if that, if that, if that, if it serves that vision, but more, most importantly, you just need to have that vision. I think most people don't take the space to even imagine thriving in the, within the realm of possibility for themselves when I believe it is actually like an inherent human right we all have. So I want to talk about, before we go, I want to make sure I want to talk about your birthday, which recently passed and you do a really cool thing on your birthday. Um, will you share what you do on your birthday? I, a couple of years, a few years ago, I put together a birthday survey. So I said, listen, I'm having, um, I'm having a birthday coming up and I don't believe in the wisdom of crowds, but I believed in the wisdom of my crowd, of my community and my people. So I created a spreadsheet and I called it collective wisdom. And I just sent it to a group of people. And the first year that I did it, I intentionally sent it to a group of people who were um, older than me, who I respect and cherish. And I just like, I wanted to know what they had to share. And what I got back was so generous um, that I did it again the next year and I did it the year after that. And now it's just a thing that I do. <laughs> it's so great. So great. Yeah. I mean, would it be helpful to share the questions that I ask on that? Let me see if I, um, have that bitly. Oh yeah, I got it. Okay. So, <laughs> um, it says, you know, your name, um, I ask, what should I be looking ahead for? What are some things you'd be thinking about if you were me? What are some things you wish you saved money for, which was really good? Um, what are memories you were looking forward to making? Um, what support did you wish you had or wish you could seek now? And then I had a section that said freestyle, free, free, feel free to use this space to tell me whatever you want to tell me. And um, and I got incredibly generous, kind, beautiful responses that you would not get. You wouldn't write this on somebody's Facebook wall. You know, um, right. but you had to, I, I'm really grateful that I like made the space to go to these people who, you know, I respected and cherished and said, like, help me make sense of what's ahead for me. And they delivered. So great. Do either of you have birthday practice? Like, do you have practices like these? I cry. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, no, I, uh, I didn't I, cry I, this year. I know I don't have anything quite like that. I mean, I usually take myself out somewhere by myself. Like I make sure that I get some sort of like a real alone meditative time with myself. Um, and I try to write like a journal entry on that day, sort of talking about where I am and where, you know, what happened over the last year and what I'd like to see in the, in the new year. I guess I treat my birthday in some ways the way people treat the new year. Yeah, I, I like that for myself too. I I kind of think I really I love the I love the practice of of marking time that way. Especially also as an immigrant, my my family coming up, we weren't really into birthdays, <laughs> so it's it's a nice practice to cultivate. Um, a f one of my friends this year, I I pulled up what she I um I pulled up what she wrote to me. She has she has cancer. She's going through cancer treatment. And, um, I, and this is how I figured out exactly who this was, who, cause it's optional to put your name on it. And she, to the question where I asked, what are some things you'd be thinking about if you were me? She wrote, 
if you knew you were to die in a year, which I've spent the past two months with a concrete and now eliminated possibility, what memories sustain you? Make more memories like that. Mm. Yeah. Put more, wow. put more of that in your life this year. For me, it was a lot of experiences I've created with friends. I, I, I really am grateful for her for sharing that with me. Sabrina, I feel like that's a good note to end on. Where can people find you? Because I want them to find your work. I am all over Al Gore's internet. Um, you can find me at uh, beingbrina.com, B-E-I-N-G-B-R-I-N-A. Um, dot com, my name dot com, um, and then my email newsletter is on my on my website. I'm on Twitter, um, Instagram, all of all under those names. Thank you so much. This has been just great. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for listening to Everything Is Fine. We are your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini, and I'm Kim France. Our producer, and this is her last day, and we're very upset about very it. Very sad. Very sad is Natalie Rivera. If you want to support the show, please join our Patreon at patreon.com backslash everything is fine. And please be sure to rate and review the show if you like it on the platforms. It really makes a difference. You can also follow the show's Instagram at BIF podcast. Email us at everything is fine. The podcast at Gmail. And you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.